0: You know what? He's for you, (laughs) not against you. He is for you. And he loves you. He loves you so much. And uh, he empowers you to do anything that he asks you to do. Where God guides, God provides, right? And where and uh, what God calls you to, He enables you to. And we've been in this series on forgiveness and reconciliation. And on your sermon note guide, the title of the message is "Forgiveness and Reconciliation." <laughs> on the uh, on the on the Facebook, it's called new bone it's like, what is new bone well we'll talk about that here in a minute but we've been talking about forgiveness and the need to forgive and how to forgive and today I want to talk about reconciliation and what is the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and how do you reconcile and when is reconciliation maybe not possible and what does forgiveness look like without it so let's just start right there are you ready for this ready to jump in I'm ready, all right. Reconciliation is not the same as forgiveness, right? You've known this, you've heard this. Forgiveness is something that you do in your own heart. Okay, it's something you do inside of yourself. You can forgive somebody and they're not even around, all right, or they may not even ask for forgiveness and you can forgive them. You can forgive them from within yourself. forgiveness is when you just kind of release the person from their right to punish, or your right to punish them, okay? You just kind of release your right to punish. And, um, and you let go of the offense. Uh, you can do it all on your own, without their cooperation. Uh, reconciliation, on the other hand, requires both of you. You need to meet together, and agree to work together to have the relationship. And the Bible is full of stories of broken relationships that become reconciled. In fact, you could, even look at, you could even look at the whole Bible as one big, long reconciliation story. You see the breaking of the relationship between man and God in the Garden of Eden, and you see the reconciliation between man and God on the cross of Christ. And the fullness of that reconciliation in the book of Revelation. The Bible is full of these stories. You can see this whole uh, story of reconciliation accomplished through death of Christ on the cross and his victory over death and hell. But you know what? Besides the overarching story of, re- uh, of reconciliation, there's these other stories as well. There's like uh, Joseph and his brothers. They became reconciled after, after they had sold him into slavery and he had been in prison and had all these things happen and then they went through a famine and came to Egypt and found Joseph and he reconciled with them after all these years. The reconciliation of Hosea and Gomer, if you read the book of Hosea, uh, God used that relationship as as like a type or an example of God's relationship with his people. The reconciliation of the prodigal and his father that Jesus told about. But you know what? One of the most dramatic reconciliation stories is that of Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 30 and chapter 33. And, and if you want to pull it out, you can look at it. Uh, if, it's in the, if you're using a Bible off the table, we're in Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 33, happens to land on page 24. I'm not going to read from it, but let me... Uh, Uh, or chapter 27, actually, is on page 19, apparently. No, yes, 18. (laughs) But I'm not going to read from it. So we see this where the falling out happens. We see the broken relationship. Jacob conspires to steal Esau's blessing from their father, right? And with that blessing came a large portion of the inheritance. So this is a terrible offense, creating a broken relationship that remained broken for 20 years have you had something like this in your life where a relationship becomes estranged when you're young and then it carries all the way through most of your adulthood it's a sad thing but Jacob and Esau can definitely relate to this okay and so Jacob really offended his brother Esau and uh and he fled to Padan Aram, another part of the world, and he worked for his uncle. He marries Rachel and Leah while he's there because that's the way they did things. And when things went awry there in that area, he decided it was time to go back and face his brother Esau after 20 years. In chapter 32, we see Jacob preparing to meet his brother. And let's look at that chapter. The numbers are so small in here. I would like to have large print Bibles. Okay, (laughs) I'm just getting so old. Page 23. Jacob also went on his way. The angels met with him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So we named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers on ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you're to say to, to my Lord Esau. He's starting to have a different attitude toward, he saw. So. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants, because God had prospered him through all that time. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may fa- find favor in your eyes. I'm trying to butter him up a little bit. When the messengers returned Jacob to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Uh Uh-oh, 400 guys, oh no. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. What's, What's Jacob thinking? He's thinking Esau's coming to attack him. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and, and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. He's, he's got a change of heart. He's got a repentant heart. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, uh, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And he instructed the one in the lead, "When, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you're to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he's coming behind us. So you can kind of get the picture. He's sending all these groups up, all these herds up, one by one. They're supposed to come up and say, well, who are you with? I'm with Jacob, and all this stuff is yours, and he's coming. He's coming behind. He also instructed the second, third, and all the others who followed the herds. You say the same thing to Esau when when you meet him. Be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I'll pacify him with these gifts that I'm sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, two female servants, His 11 sons crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Jabbok. Uh, After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is one of my favorite lines. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. It's like, who is that man? Who is that mysterious man that shows up When the man saw that he could not overpower him, that's interesting, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. He couldn't physically overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He knew who he was wrestling with. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jesus shows up all over the Old Testament. You've got to know this. And he showed up there. Who is God in the flesh? Who is God in the flesh? That's Jesus. Jesus shows up and wrestles with, with Jacob and calls him Israel. And that's the beginning of the Israelite nation. The sun rose above him as, uh, as he passed Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because a socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. In this chapter, we see Jacob doing several things to get ready to meet with Esau, okay? First, he he prayed to God for help and protection, reminding God of his promise to him. He said, you know, you sent me here, you said you'd prosper me. So he placed himself in God's hands. Secondly, he prepared gifts to present a as tokens of apology and goodwill. Don't miss that. You, you think, well, he's just trying to butter him up. Well, he's trying to express his heart. He's trying to say, I want to have goodwill. I want to have an, make an apology. He had stolen much from Esau, so he, essentially he was making restitution, trying to make up for what he had taken. Plus, it was a way to say, I don't want to be your enemy. I want us to be reconciled. Thirdly, he wrestled with God. He grappled with him, he and physically wrestled with him uh, the night before meeting up with Esau. and And um, and are you grappling with God? <laughs> are you grappling with him until you until are you praying through until you get a blessing? He received a name change. He was no longer a deceiver. He was now one who struggles with God. He no longer was going to be a deceiver, but a God person. Fifthly, he became marked by his encounter with God as a changed man. He was no longer the same Jacob that he was before. He limped from wrestling with God. He was a different person. He walked like a different person than the one who had deceived and cheated his brothers two decades earlier. Then in chapter 3, we see the reunion the next day. Jacob looks up and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And then he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. He wanted to protect all these people, all his kids and their servants. He wanted to protect all them. He's hoping that maybe if, if uh, Esau doesn't forgive me, then maybe they can get away. But here's what happened. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Bowing down seven times as he approached his brother, was a humbling of himself and a sign to his brother that he wanted peace and reconciliation. And the result was that Esau finally or fully embraced his brother, and the reunion was so emotional, they just wept together. They renewed their affection and friendship and brotherly love toward one another and made peace. I tell you that story this morning to, to kind of kick off this whole discussion about reconciliation to see a picture of of two brothers who finally decided to reconcile. They, they, They turned their hearts toward each other. They couldn't undo the sins of the past, but maybe they could make up and maybe restitution could be made, maybe apologies, maybe humility could come into the picture. When old enemies can make amends and reconcile, it's a beautiful thing. Last week, I referred to the historic Abraham Accord that was formed in September between Israel and the United Arab Emirates uh, and the Kingdom of Bahrain. And after centuries of hostility and conflict, it appears that the Middle East could be on the cusp of a new season of relative peace. Okay, Arabs and Jews are figuring out how to coexist. And for this to happen, there had to be this fundamental shift in the approach to the relationship instead of this old policy that essentially said, Israel needs to concede more and more land to the Palestinians until they no longer exist, basically, because they kept conceding and conceding and conceding and it just never really resulted in any any kind of peace or two-state solution, which is gonna be the only solution, but you can get all political on it if you want. That's my foreign policy. There you go. <laughs> the new policy says, Israel's here. Jerusalem is her capital. The Golan Heights belong to her. She's not going away. So now you got to deal with her as, as she is. That's the new policy. And so having seen the writing on the wall, a lot of these nations are saying, well, if you can't annihilate her, <laughs> well, let's work together. And so there were three things I pointed out last week and these are pieces of not only forgiveness but reconciliation. First, make room in your life for the existence of the other side and their differences from you. You as a human being and relationship, a broken relationship, something that has come between you, you need to realize that you need to make room for the valid existence of the other person, their beliefs, their perspectives, their personality, their temperament, okay, their proclivities, you kind of have to make room for the package because that's what they're bringing, all right? They're not going to just cease to exist. If you're going to have peace, you got to deal with the fact that they're here, they're different from you, and they're not going away. We need to allow for their differences from us to, and somehow incorporate them into the relationship. And as believers, it goes even further than just making room for the existence their existence because Jesus taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to even love our enemies. Love is a higher standard than just allowing somebody to exist and tolerating them. Secondly, after making room, you need to find your common ground. The 101% principle says this. Find the 1% you agree on and give it 100% of your effort. In all your close relationships, you've got an abundance of common ground when you think about it. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't have had a close relationship with the people. And Hebrews talks about Jesus saying, For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus sets this example for us by empathizing with our weaknesses. He created common ground for us by becoming a human. And by creating common ground with us, he creates space. For us to respond to his love so that we can have peace with God. So when you find common ground, when you find that 1% to agree on, you're kind of like creating a space where you can establish a new beginning. And so make room, find common ground, and look forward, not backward. To have peace in our relationships that have been difficult or hostile, we need to stop looking backward. We need to stop rehearsing the old hurts. We need to stop harping on things that happened a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. To have peace in our hearts that have been difficult, uh, in relationships that have been difficult, we need to stop looking back and decide, what kind of future do I want to have now? Where, am I gonna, where are we going to go from here? What kind of future is God calling us to? What does he want you to make this relationship into and looking forward, we want, we want to create something new and different than what was in the past. And this is where I want to talk a little bit. Oh, Scott, you've already talked plenty. No, we're just getting started. Okay, you ready? Reconciliation of a broken relationship requires some new, something new. New grace new understanding to come into play. And the relationship will be different. You don't restore the relationship to the same place be- as it was before. You need to restore it to a different place. It's got to be a different relationship than what you had before. Because what did you have before? What was the end result? Brokenness, fleeing to Padana Ram, right? For 20 years, okay? So it's got to be new, and it's got to be new bone. Uh, have you ever, how many here have ever broken a bone? Yeah, I broke a bone twice. Uh, one bone I broke was in my face, so up here. That's why I'm so beautiful. And um, and uh, back in the uh, back in the '80s, when I did break that bone, um, there was a saying: "You touch my truck, I break your face." <laughs> <laughs> and and then I went around and told people, "Don't don't touch the truck. Don't touch. That hurts." You know, and, and uh, it was in a judo class and uh, I threw the guy down, but he jumped back up and the top of his head hit me in the cheekbone and cracked the, the bottom. I'm, I'm lucky I can see out the eye because it, it shattered my, my uh, eye socket, basically. And they had to put a wire, the wire's still in there as far as I know. It doesn't. It's not big enough to, it's numb. And then I broke my ankle doing youth group stunts. You remember that one? That hurt. That hurt. The the funny thing about that, the funny thing about that is that um, Jackie and Pat were there and I'm laying on the ground because I had swung on a rope and banged my ankle against a a board and uh, cracked it. Okay? And so and I'm I'm there, oh, oh, oh. And so Jackie and Pat come over and they're standing there and they're laughing at me. (laughs) Right? And I'm just like, oh, I, I swung on the rope and I hit this thing, and they're just laughing. And then i then I go to try to get up, because I didn't know it was broken yet. I'd go to try to get up, and it's this intense searing pain. And so I would start screaming and stuff, and they go, oh, oh, oh. And so then I would stop trying to get up, and I'd be okay, and then they'd start laughing again. <laughs> and, and it kept going like that, until finally I said, I think it's broken. And it's like, oh, okay. And then, And then Nathan and Nate had to carry me out of the woods to the car so we could go get the x-rays. Broken bones. Well, the thing about broken bones, let's draw a bone up here. That's some random bone in your body, there it is. And, uh, and it gets broke. Okay, And uh, they have to set the bone and get it, get it lined up again. And then as it's healing, you know, it takes what? Six weeks for a healthy person to, or maybe a young person to kind of see that bone heal, right? But what happens is that as it's healing, more calcium goes in there and more bone material kind of starts to form all the way around it and, and creates a sort of a, what do they call it? Uh, I read this on The Naked Scientist. I didn't look at the pictures. <laughs> but they said this, as bones heal, a sort of cuff of new bone forms around the fracture. Uh, So when that's healed and stuck together, there's actually a big, thick load of bone where the fracture was so that that would be stronger than the original bone. You break a bone. So I've got like super strong (laughs) eye socket, I guess. Wow. (laughs) And uh, and ankle bone, you know. And so so that, that bone grows back stronger than it was before. Okay? This isn't a reason to go out and start breaking your bones. But in the same way that your relationship, in the same way your relationship can become stronger, the broken one. Because now there are new dimensions. There has to be new bone that grows, new dimensions of your relationship that you need to put into place to have true reconciliation and healing. For example, let me give you several. You ready? And these are the the fill-in-the-blanks on your on your thing. A new, there needs to be a new understanding of yourself. Don't waste a broken relationship by not learning anything about yourself. (laughs) Learn some things about yourself. Learn some things about what your vulnerables, how your buttons are pushed. Learn some things about where you come from and what's and what drives you and why did this become such an issue? What was it inside of you that, that helped make it into an issue, right? Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, you desire, God desires truth in the inward parts. He wants you to face the truth about yourself. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. When you go through a broken relationship, you have a clearer picture of your own heart and the pain that you've been acting out of. You know your vulnerabilities and you know your triggers better. And this new self-awareness can lead to deeper healing of your core beliefs that even pre-exist the current relationship. I I kept debating on whether I wanted to take a long sermon and make it longer. Um, But uh, I draw this picture with almost every client that I counsel, okay? And so you would think I would have gotten good at it, no. (laughs) <laughs> so this is, this is a tree, okay? And here's the soil. So here's the tree, the tree of your life, the tree of your personality, okay? And out here is some fruit. And that fruit is going to be like behavior. What comes out in your life uh, is going to be an emotions. Like depression or uh, anxiety, okay, and so you have these emotions. Can they see it on there? Good. And, uh, and so that's the fruit, and the fruit is attached to a branch, and that branch, I, I go through the whole thing. That's automatic thoughts, and, and what were you thinking? Thoughts drive your emotions and your behavior, okay, and they're related that way, but you have the change your thinking, you'll change your behavior and your emotions. That's tied to the trunk. The trunk has to do with uh, rules and uh, intermediate uh, beliefs, Okay, in between beliefs. Uh, and so the rules would be like never let them see you sweat. You know, uh, always do your best. Uh, you, you can barely, you have a core belief. Well, let me I'll get ahead. Um, we'll talk about those or, or maybe we won't, but those are the trunk. Okay, core beliefs are down here. And these core beliefs don't, aren't really your theological beliefs, what you believe about God, except in terms of you. Okay, these are your core beliefs about yourself. Okay, And down here in your core beliefs, if, uh, if there's anything wrong or dysfunctional in them, uh, then that's going to act out in behavior and emotions. You see how that goes? Your core beliefs, what's at the root, is going to go through some intermediary beliefs or some rules and automatic thoughts are going to be driving these automatic thoughts and they're going to end up with this behavior out here, Okay, whatever it is. Uh, so if you have dysfunctional behavior and emotions, then you know that there's some core beliefs down here that need to be healed by God, okay? And the core beliefs uh, always pretty much distill down to one of three different kinds, okay? One has to do with lovability. I basically don't feel like I'm lovable. So everybody in my life who is nice to me is faking it, right? They're tolerating me. Okay, And so I always, I have a rule for myself. I always have to bend over backward and do what everybody else wants me to or otherwise they won't show that love to me because I'm not basically lovable. I'm not intrinsically lovable. I'm only lovable for what I can do for them. right? Um, Another one is uh, significance. I don't matter in this world. I don't have any power. I don't have any strength. I don't have any... Uh, I'm not important, I don't matter. And that's a core belief that somebody might just basically have in their heart. They just kind of, they don't ever say that out loud maybe, but they kind of feel that way. They always, I just don't really matter at all. And that maybe something in their growing up or something kind of gave them this lie from the devil and they believed it, all right? And so they carry that around. And and this uh, significance, this sense of insignificance uh, comes out like, um, here's a rule for myself, always be the first one there and the last one to leave. You've got to earn your way through life, uh, otherwise people are going to find out how, how insignificant you are. So you've got to go over and above, in order to just be barely acceptable, you have to do more than everybody else. Some people kind of operate out of that, and then that creates a lot of anxiety and tension and anger and fears. Another one is belonging. Um, I don't. It kind of goes with love, but I don't really belong in this world. I don't know my place. I don't know, uh, do I fit in? I don't really think I do. That's the core belief. I don't really think I do. And really, all of these are essential needs of the human heart. I need to know that I'm unconditionally loved. I need to know that I matter, and I need to know that I belong. Okay, those are Fundamental needs that God created in your human heart and guess who is the only one who can actually make those better, to actually fulfill those to, so that you core belief, that <laughs> you believe that you are lovable and significant and belong. God. God in your life, he heals that. Okay? Other human beings like a significant other can, or a wife or a girlfriend, they can help you To realize those things, and they can minister to those things, okay, but they can't fill them. They can't make it happen for you. And so, and so, when you have a broken relationship, that's part of what's coming out in the fruit of your life, okay? Now, it's not always on you. It's them and their core belief and their whole church, or tree also, okay? But, When you go through it, you start to have a new understanding of what's going on below the surface. Okay, what's going down there at the roots? For instance, I had a couple who went through a long period of conflict and estrangement. Divorce papers had been filed. They were separated, living in separate places, trying to figure out the kids' things. It was hard. Because they were both Christians, they really felt they should try not to divorce, but they knew the relationship could not be what it had been. So through this long period, I'm talking months and months of, pre- of prayer and reflection and counseling, they both discovered that they had been acting out of old pain and old fears and wounds from the past that had formed these core beliefs. They had learned to cope in ways that hurt the relationship. On his part, he learned that he had a lot of fears that he would never really be loved. He really felt that, okay? He was trying to extract love from his wife through desperate demands and harsh lectures. If she just understood how much pain he was in, uh, then maybe she would compassionately respond and show him love right? But that just turned her off because he's getting harsh. And it was, that was how he learned to get what he needed growing up, but it wasn't working here. On her part, she needed, she learned that she protects herself by withdrawing and withholding love from her husband. Okay, she might have had the same kind of core belief. She grew up with a lot of self-protection where she doesn't dare express love to others because that puts her in a vulnerable position, This couple learned a lot about themselves and and how their own coping mechanisms were creating a terrible marriage. And with this new self-understanding, they were able to grow and make changes in the way that they thought about things and the way they reacted to their spouse. Another thing that a new bone that needs to form around the break is a new understanding of the other person, right? where the other person's coming from. First Peter 3a says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. With sympathy and compassion, we need to come to a new understanding of where they're coming from, what their perspective is, how they perceive life, what makes them tick. You need to have a new understanding of the pain that caused them to act the way they did. What pain are they operating out of? What kind of fears? What, are they, what were they worried about? even as our couple here, even as they, let's call them Bob and Mary. Okay, as Bob and Mary were making these self-discoveries, they were also sharing them with each other because they were smart enough to go to counseling and learning more about their partner's deeper heart. And the husband could see how his aggressive pursuing behavior Felt threatening to his wife and drove her into more withholding. And the wife could see how her withholding created fear and panic in her husband and drove him to more demandingness. And they started to see how they were kind of stomping on each other's hoses. Their air hose. (laughs) And they were suffocating. Another part of new bone that needs to happen is a new acceptance of the other person's goodwill. If you're going to reconcile. You got to accept their goodwill like Esau had to accept Jacob's goodwill. And then Jacob, when Esau came to embrace him, you know, he could have said, oh, you're pulling a wrestling move on me, huh? I just did this last night. I can wrestle with you. (laughs) I beat that guy. Of course, he hurt me. No, he didn't. He accepted it. Romans uh, 15, 7 says, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We need to have a new trust of where their heart is and that your heart is safe in their keeping. So for this couple, Bob and Mary, they had to trust that that their partner wasn't intending to hurt them. They were just acting out of their own fears and insecurities. Sometimes it appeared very intentional, okay? It probably was very intentional at times. But when you get right down to it, it was just desperate defense mechanism in, in response to hurts and fears and insecurities that they were carrying around in themselves. They had, to come, they had come to believe that the other person was standing on their air hose on purpose, so they succumbed to retaliation at times and did things in return on purpose. But in the course of their attempts to reconcile, they had to start to listen to the other to listen to them express their heart of goodwill. And they had to get rid of all this distrust of the other person's heart and intentions. They had to take it on faith that their own heart would be safe in their partner's keeping. More new bone is a new definition of your relationship with each other. A new understanding of what the relationship is now. What's it gonna be now? What's our new definition First Peter 2.10 says, once you weren't a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had received no mercy, now you've received mercy. So in the early years of their marriage, Bob and Mary, uh, before things got bad, the way they, they made it work was they would just kind of tolerate the gaps in their relationship, not think too much about them, and just keep themselves busy with life. So he built his business, she got her degrees, they started having kids, and eventually those gaps grew to the point of becoming intolerable. And he started seeking love and affection elsewhere. She withheld affection even more, but bent over backwards to make other parts of their life work, right? You can see they're getting set up for a big blow up, which is exactly what happened. And their new relationship though, had to be defined differently. It needed to be much different than just tolerate the gaps and keep busy. That could not be their definition anymore. It needed to become a deep, we truly understand each other's vulnerabilities, needs, and fears, and we meet each other there at that point and care for each other in that place. That's where intimacy happens. It's not on surfacey things like, oh, we have the same hobbies. Intimacy happens when you really know each other and your fears and your, and your vulnerabilities and your needs and you minister to each other there. That's intimacy. New bone also involves a new commitment to the relationship. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Think of it this way. The previous commitment was sufficient for the relationship before it got broken. Now you need a fresh commitment that incorporates the falling out. For example, even though I know more fully how much I can be hurt by you. I'm going to reinforce my commitment to you. I'm committed despite what we've been through. Beforehand, your commitment level didn't include this history of hurts and offenses, but then the history, then the offenses and the hurts came, and so now you need a new level of commitment in order to go forward. Same thing with Bob and Mary. They now had this long history of hurting and betraying and hiding from one another in active and passive ways. His more active, hers more passive. For them to commit to their spouse now, they had to do it with all that history under their belt already. And those hurts were really inflicted and weakened their previous level of commitment to the point of seeking a divorce. So their new commitment has to be stronger than the hurts. Jacob's old commitment eventually led him to run away from Esau. His new commitment had to be enough to meet Esau and even, to face, even in the face of how much he had defrauded them. Then new bone requires new clarity on where the boundaries are. We have a better idea now of what is felt to be unloving and what is felt to be disrespectful, where your boundaries are, where my boundaries are. We know each other's sensitivities better and now we're vowing to protect those, not exploit them. I'm not going to use them against you. We have a better idea of how to speak when our own boundaries are being violated, how to speak up. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 and 23 says, those parts of the body, the relationship, so to speak, that seem to be weaker... Are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. We protect the vulnerabilities of our partner. So, with their new level of com- commitment to their spouse, and with a new relationship definition that says uh, we will meet and minister to each other in the place of our deepest vulnerabilities, Bob and Mary had to recognize and respect certain boundaries that when crossed they didn't minister to their spouse but instead inflicted harm. So Bob needed to respect the boundary of not speaking to Mary harshly and demandingly in his desperate attempt to get love. He had to respect the boundary of not, uh, she had to respect the boundary of not withholding or ignoring and withholding love and affection in order to protect herself. Mary needed to set a boundary that said, I won't be talked to in, in harsh ways When we can talk calmly and respectfully, then we can talk. And she had to follow through on that promise of of talking. Uh, Bob needed to set a boundary that said, I won't allow us to become distant from each other. And if we start to, I'm going to bring it up. But he needed to follow through in a way that didn't violate her boundaries. This is often the part of reconciliation that takes the most time and the most discussion. Uh, Boundaries can become muddled and confusing. The Abraham Accord, I think about that. That's essentially a a declaration of new boundaries of what the relationship is going to be and who's responsible for what. Final thing I wanna just say about new bone is that new bone needs new ways to interact so that the same old hurts aren't repeated. Like Galatians 5 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So with this new understanding of boundaries, you're now much wiser in how, about how to successfully relate and interact so that you foster friendship and u- unity. So Bob and Mary came to this place of changing the whole dynamic of the relationship. They had to learn to have deep conversations with each other without re-injuring each other. They had to learn to voice complaints in ways that didn't make their partner into their opponent. They had to learn to remember to protect their partner's insecurities and vulnerabilities, not exploit them. They had to change how they interacted. All right. That was hard work. (laughs) Relationships and reconciliation in relationships is hard work. But it's very much worth it. And here's what I think. I think people who don't really think that it's worth it, they end up at the end of their life with a long train of broken relationships and hurt feelings that just accumulated and never healed. And they become more and more calloused as relationship after relationship is entered into, broken and abandoned. Without reconciliation active in our lives, we become, we become emotionally and spiritually shallow. If our Approach to every relationship is ditch and switch. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you just become shallow. You never grow. Uh, we become calloused. Become calloused and not true disciples of Christ. Now, are there times when reconciliation is not recommended or even possible? And yeah, I would say there's a few. Okay? Death, for instance, (laughs) comes to mind. When a person dies, it is impossible to be reconciled with them. Uh, And the best you can do is to extend forgiveness from your heart and hope to be able to reconcile with them in heaven. Another time it'll be impossible to reconcile is when the other person absolutely refuses. You may make the attempt to make amends with them. You extend forgiveness from your heart, but they don't respond. All you can do now is try to keep the door open and wait. But sometimes reconciliation's not even advised. Okay, once in a while there's this situation. For instance, ongoing abuse. If the other person habitually abuses you and continues to do so, then full reconciliation is not recommended. A partial reconciliation where, where you don't throw bombs or try to, and you, and you do try to maintain cordiality, might be possible, okay? But maintaining a close proximity so that abuse can continue is not wise. Uh, when there's untreated addiction, If the partner is in denial about an addiction and that addiction is threatening your life and well-being, then a reconciliation isn't recommended until they come out of denial and build a solid track record of sobriety. Again, reconciliation can be partial in the sense that you aren't fighting them anymore and you still deal with them compassionately, but from a distance. But it shouldn't involve being tied to that person financially, legally, or sharing living space because their life is too out of control for you to lash yourself to them, okay? Uh, A third time that reconciliation is not advised is with habitual dishonesty. It's another major roadblock. Uh, Jacob had to change his name and behavior from one who deceives to one who wrestles with God before being reconciled to Esau. If you're truly wrestling with God, then you're getting honest, but until there's a track record of honesty, you cannot have a successful relation uh, reconciliation because you're in you aren't in a relationship that's real. You're in a relationship with lies that are being told to you, and it's best to just maintain distance and you can, until you can know that dishonesty is no longer there. Okay, so I give you those those kind of five things. Two and. Reconciliation is just not possible. We could all see that. Three, when it's probably not recommended. Okay. But here's what I find. Too often, we say that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. So we teach that. And you can forgive without necessarily reconciling. And we teach that. And sometimes it's not wise to reconcile. So I say that. And then we start to think that we really only need to strive toward reconciliation maybe half the time or less. We start to get this idea, you know, well, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing, right? So you can forgive them and not necessarily be reconciled, right? So you hear that teaching you think, oh, yeah, I don't have to reconcile. I'll just forgive them. This is what I would say. 90% of the time you should be looking at reconciliation. 90%. The way some people act, you would think that reconciliation is actually never an option for them. It's ditch and switch every time. Uh, Maybe they'll forgive them someday, but they will never again trust them or be friends with them or even talk to them. And how dare you suggest that they ever should try? There was an article I read in studying that, uh, that touted some blocks to reconciliation and included in their list of blocks to reconciliation... They said that it is impossible to reconcile if you've outgrown your partner or if you're no longer sexually attracted to them. It's like, give me a break. What a bunch of hogwash. That is ridiculous. Those are, those are the kinds of things, this growing and sexual attraction and that, what's going on there. Those are the kinds of things that you work through that actually make your relationship better and stronger because you work through them. If you abandon every relationship that you thought you were outgrowing the other person at some point, you'd break off every single one. Relationships grow stronger by communicating about those kinds of issues and working through them. Jesus urges us that the norm for Christians is to seek out reconciliation, wherever it's possible. It's against Christ's nature within you to leave a string of broken relationships in your wake. Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar like you're coming to worship God, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, got a broken relationship, leave it there. Don't sit there and try to fake your way through a worship experience. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Get to be like Jesus and then come worship him. To be able to pray and worship God with a clear heart and soul, you need to close the loop on unresolved, uh, troubled relationships through reconciliation as far as, as it is possible. Romans twelve eighteen, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When you practice reconciliation, you grow. When you do the hard work, of trying to, to fix a relationship, it forces you to grow. If you rebuild an engine that has been taken apart, you're going to learn a lot about engines. <laughs> you're going to have to, or you're never going to have a working engine, okay? Now, sometimes I get lucky. But <laughs> other than that, you got to learn something. When you practice it, you grow exponentially as an authentic Christian. And you exercise real compassion and sympathy and unity. And let me just close with this verse Ephesians 4. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You received a calling to be a Jesus person, to be a God person, to be a follower of Christ, a disciple. Live a life worthy of that calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, each, with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Dear God, I don't know who all needed this. Uh, I don't know why you dump so much on me to give all at once (laughs) but but uh, i thank you for it and uh and i just pray lord god that you would work in each and every one of our hearts help us not get used to just abandoning people or just get used to um broken relationships and and uh and just going on with life with hard feelings. Help us, Lord, to forgive sincerely from the heart and wherever it is possible, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace and be reconciled. We thank you that you extend such grace, you went to such lengths to extend peace and reconciliation, to enact a reconciliation with us that Jesus died on the cross so that, we could have, so that we could have peace with God. And we thank you for going to that extent, Lord, to bring us into relationship with you. And we humbly embrace it and accept it, and we thank you for it. Help us to live like that, in Jesus' name, amen.